0: 49 years ago today, one of the greatest amusement parks that you've never heard of closed its gates for the last time. Today, we're talking about Palisades Amusement Park.
1: Stand clear of the closing doors, please.
0: Hi, welcome to the Christmas Time in the City podcast. I'm your host, Chris.
1: And I'm also your host, Chris. Before we get started, be sure to follow us on social media. Christmas Time in the City podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
0: Be sure to check out our website, ChristmastimeInTheCity.com. That's where you'll find our show notes, videos, our interactive maps featuring filming locations, and iconic Christmas attractions throughout the city. And also feel free to email any questions or comments to us at ChristmastimeInTheCity podcast at gmail.com.
1: Happy September, everybody! We're in the Bermonts.
0: We did it. We made it to September. We're almost done with the summer, which is awesome. We can get into fall and hopefully into Christmas. Hopefully. Who knows? 2020 has been crazy. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, with the summer finally winding down and the cooler days becoming more and more common, in this episode, we wanted to wrap up our series focusing on the amusement parks of the past. Why are you laughing so much? (laughs) Keeping it. No. Amusement parks are the past that New Yorkers and out-of-towners alike visited during the summer months. So that brings us to this episode, which is all about Palisades Amusement Park.
1: For real fun at bargain prices, come on
0: over to Palisades Amusement
1: Park. There are free circus acts, free dancing, free parking, and admission is still only 30 cents.
0: Palisades has the rides, Palisades has the fun. Come on over. Shows and dancing are free, so's the parking. So gee. Come on over. Palisades from coast to coast where a dime buys the most. Palisades, amusement park, swings all day and after dark. Ride the coaster, get cool in the waves in the pool. You'll have fun, so come on over. You were just so uh, doom
1: and gloom. <laughs>
0: Did I snap out of it?
1: Yeah, you snapped out of it, but it made me okay. It's just a lot.
0: American workers were at a turning point during the late 1800s when more than almost 2 million people belonged to organized labor unions that fought for better wages and shorter working hours. By the 1890s, though most Americans still worked six days a week, several unions had finally achieved the eight-hour workday. Workers were now able to enjoy something previously scarce, leisure time.
1: The chief mode of transit during the period was the trolley, which primarily carried people to and from their jobs every day. With more time after work for routine chores during the week, People were now able to spend their one day off with their families, and the trolley companies soon saw a way to use this to their advantage.
0: Since power companies charged the lines a flat monthly fee for electricity, whether the trolleys were busy or not, the six-day work week meant little or no profit on Sundays. The companies needed some other means to encourage ridership on Sundays, so they decided to establish attractions that would lure families with the promise of recreation and relaxation. Those lines lucky enough to have beaches or lakes along their routes promoted them for family outings.
1: Companies without these natural fun spots created their own attractions band shells, picnic groves, and dance halls to lure riders. These amusement areas became the groundwork for the traditional American amusement park. They were known as trolley parks simple groves adorned with beautiful gardens, swings, refreshment stands, and gazebos. Opening in 1898, the park on the Palisades quickly rose above the rest. In
0: 1908, the trolley company sold the park to August Newman and Frank Knox. They imported a crude assortment of attractions, which included a Ferris wheel, a baby parade, and diving horses. Around the same time, the park was renamed Palisades Amusement Park.
1: In 1910, the park was purchased by Nicholas and Joseph Schneck. The Schneck brothers were active in the newly created motion picture industry in nearby Fort Lee, as well as operated the Fort George Amusement Park in New York City, across the Hudson River and to the east. They renamed the park Schneck Brothers Palisades Park. In
0: 1912, the park added a saltwater swimming pool. It was filled by pumping water from the Hudson River 200 feet below. This pool, 400 by 600 feet in surface area, was advertised as the largest saltwater wave pool in the nation. Behind the waterfalls were huge pontoons that rose up and down as they rotated, creating a one foot wave in the pool.
1: In 1928, the park introduced the Cyclone Roller Coaster, the third of Harry Travers' terrifying triplets. Due to the high maintenance costs, the ride was removed six years later.
0: In either 1934 or 1935, Nicholas and Joseph Sneck sold the site for $450,000 to Jack and Irving Rosenthal. The brothers and entrepreneurs had made a fortune as concessionaires at Coney Island in Brooklyn. The Rosenthal's built the Coney Island Cyclone, a wooden coaster that was completely different from the Traverse Triplet, in 1927. In
1: 1935, the park was partially damaged by fire. In 1944, a second fire forced the park to close until the start of the 1945 season.
0: That seems to be a theme.
1: Yeah. If anyone listened to our last episode uh, about Coney Island, there was a lot of fires. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think they just built everything out of wood.
1: <laughs> yeah. There so... was no no precautions really yeah. taken. Um, yeah.
0: Eventually, they would start using asbestos, and then we'd have a whole world of other problems. But...
1: Yeah. But thank, thank you for <laughs> fire safety right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: The Rosenthal's reverted the park's name to the more recognizable Palisades Amusement Park. One of the many attractions rebuilt and redesigned by construction superintendent Joe McKee was a skyrocket roller coaster. The Rosenthal's named the newly repaired coaster the Cyclone, after their Coney Island coaster.
1: The park's reputation and attendance continued to grow throughout the 1950s and 1960s, largely due to the saturation advertising and the continued success of the park's music pavilion.
0: During the mid-1950s, the park started featuring rock and roll shows hosted by local radio announcers Clay Cole and Cousin Brucey Morrow, featuring acts like Diana Ross and the Supremes, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Leslie Gore, Frankie Avalon, The Fifth Dimension, Love and Spoonful, and even a young Billy Joel.
1: I was just thinking about how it would be cool to go see those people in an amusement park. <laughs> and then I got distracted. <laughs> Starting during the 1960s, advertisements for the park were frequently printed in the back pages of the 1950s and 1960s comic books. The Rosenthal's realized that youths in the New York metropolitan area represented the largest single market for comic books in the nation, and that comic book advertising was a cheap way to reach thousands of potential customers.
0: There was a rumor of a hole in the fence behind the amusement park's music stage, which was used by local children to sneak into the park without paying admission. While there technically wasn't a hole, there was a large gap in fencing on the cliff's edge that brave locals climbed up to.
1: Although the Rosenthal brothers knew about the fencing issue, they did not repair it. Unlike some modern amusement parks that sell passes to enter the grounds themselves, Palisades Amusement Park also charged individual fees for each ride and attraction inside the park.
0: Irving Rosenthal, who loved children, even though he had none of his own, allowed this secret entrance to remain and instructed security personnel to ignore anyone sneaking through it. He felt that children, who had little money to start with, would be more willing to spend their limited funds inside the park if they got in for free.
1: To make it even easier for people to enter, Irving Rosenthal also printed free admission offers on matchbooks. He was also known to scatter food tickets throughout the park.
0: From 1947 to 1971, Palisades Park averaged 6 million visitors. Peak attendance was reached in 1969 with 10 million visitors. Radio and television commercials broadcast in the greater New York area encouraged the public to come on over. They did just that.
1: Three factors contributed to the eventual closing of Palisades Amusement Park. Inadequate parking facilities, growing uncertainty about the park's future, and an increase in the number of incidents where visitors got injured or killed. In
0: 1967, Jack Rosenthal died, leaving his brother Irving as the sole owner. Irving, in his 70s, was not expected to manage the park for much longer. Without family heirs, it was unclear as to who would eventually assume ownership.
1: Local residents objected to the traffic jams, litter, and other effects of the park's immense popularity. They demanded action from the local elected officials. Developers wanted to profit by the Palisades' view of Manhattan, and they successfully pressured the local governments to rezone the amusement park site for high-rise apartment housing and condemn it under eminent domain.
0: During the next few years, land was surveyed by a number of builders who made lucrative offers, but Rosenthal tried to postpone the park's inevitable closing and refused to sell.
1: In January 1971, a Texas developer, Winston Centex Corporation, acquired the property for $12.5 million and agreed to lease it back to Irving Rosenthal so the Palisades Amusement Park could operate for one final season. The park permanently closed on Sunday, September 12th in 1971.
0: After it closed, Morgan Hughes and Fletch Creamer Jr. tried to reopen the park. <laughs> sorry. Fletch Creamer Jr. is a normal name. Staying in <laughs> I'm sorry. tried to reopen the park for one more season and obtained a lease for Winston Centrics. However, the town of Fort Lee would not issue a business license until the next spring, and even then the town could not guarantee such a license. The buildings were subsequently demolished, the rides sold, dismantled, and transported to other amusement operators in the United States and Canada.
1: Four high-rise luxury apartment buildings stand on the old park site today. In 1998, on the centennial of the opening of the original Park of the Palisades, Winston Towers, which was the first two towers that were built, the management company dedicated a monument to Palisades Amusement Park on its property. The monument is a small park with the names of the rides inscribed on its bricks, named the Little Park of Memories. And when we say small park...
0: It is a small park. We drove there. (laughs) We drove over there, and it's basically like in a median between like a kind of like a, a fork in the road and it's right in the middle yeah. there's a rock with like a big plaque and it's really nice kind of a touching sentiment i don't recall right now but uh, on the floor around all the the bricks have are like inscribed by people that worked at the parks or that got engaged or their grandparents got engaged or like they worked at like the french fry stand and yeah like, yeah so there's all, all these really cool memories there so
1: yeah, it was pretty neat. It was really small, but it was definitely worth checking out, you know. And it was a cool neighborhood to drive through, so it was just an interesting thing altogether. Yeah. We were trying to find the little area where they <clears throat> they sneak through the fence. Um, yeah, it was just cool to see it in person after doing all this research and learning about it.
0: Yeah, so that's Palisades. it. That was it. <laughs> we covered it. Uh, there's the Palisades Amusement Park. I got super obsessed with it. I'm glad that we got it out there and I can move on now to other things.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, why this could not wait till next year. There's no way you could wait another year before no, you put this out. This would have
0: been a 45 minute podcast just on <laughs> Irving Rosenthal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's move on to something more current news. It's time for the news.
1: All right, so our first article is about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the Christmas tree celebration. They're coming back. It's happening, but it's not going to be the same way. Same idea as how the Macy's fireworks, they kind of were scattered around the city in the different boroughs, and they still filmed it. They didn't give a lot of details at all <laughs> in the article, but it did say that they want to keep some sort of tradition alive still. They're not going to just not do it. So they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out how to do it, how to do it without an audience or without letting people know. Maybe they keep the location secret until the day of, something like that. I'm not sure. I don't know what they're doing as wonder, far as the celebration goes. I wonder
0: yeah. if they'll do it like they've been doing like American Idol and stuff, where they'll just mm. have like the schools perform yeah. like at their own in their own town
1: mm.
0: and they'll just, like just kind of like stream those
1: instead of actually being in the parade
0: yeah because otherwise it's we were out a week before thanksgiving like last year i believe and we, I, I feel like i was in an elevator and for the people in there they were completely random they didn't know each other they were all parents of people that, that were in the parade and mm. So you got to figure gotcha. there's so many kids and like chaperones and family members are going to travel up. I can't imagine that they're going to have like these marching bands and stuff.
1: That's a good point. That's a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Something I'm of like balloons and the floats and that's not that bad. But then you add and just tons of dancers from theater and yeah. bands from all over the country. And, and
0: color guards and stuff.
1: Ooh, yeah. So they didn't go into detail about how it was going to happen or But just that it is, and there'll be some sort of tradition alive. I think it's going to be better for maybe people outside of New York City. So like what they show on TV is going to be more exciting, I think, than what's actually happening in real life here. So kind of a bummer for us. Good for everyone else to keep that tradition alive.
0: Okay. Um, Is there anything else?
1: Yeah. We had mentioned in a previous episode, one of the articles that we had was about Broadway closing down. Uh, No theater productions, no indoor productions are going to be happening until next year. And then right now, restaurants are not allowed to open either, so basically all indoor activities are off-limits. And then there's this place that's in Times Square on Broadway, and it doesn't technically, it's not categorized as a restaurant, they don't have a liquor license, they're not technically a theater or an event space, it's just they open in June 2019, and not a great time to start because, you know, six months later, you're dealing with some other stuff. But then they started making masks um, and PPE for the essential workers. And it kind of started as that. And then they realized that they could make the space into other things. So they're operating at 16% occupancy. And it's just kind of like a a small theater performance. They're taking a lot of precautions. Plexiglass um, up between people. And again, I said 16% occupancy. So... There's plenty of space in between everybody. The masks have to be worn the whole time. And there singers that are up on stage even are wearing masks. So everybody has interesting. them on. Yeah, they have special masks. There's a video on this article of a special mask that the singers wear. Obviously, so you can still hear their voice. It's called Open Jar. It's on Broadway near 48th Street. So it's quite interesting. They're doing live streams as well to see the performances. And they've got some pretty big people coming through there um from the broadway scene yeah interesting way for people on broadway to kind of come back and do their thing and part of their money that's uh that people are spending on tickets are going towards charities as well so they're doing the right thing about it i don't know how long that's gonna last though (laughs) because it does seem like they kind of just found a loophole and went with it until someone's telling them to stop
0: well that's that's what we do here in new york
1: yeah just go for it (laughs) yeah find
0: loopholes and take advantage (laughs)
1: Until someone tells you to stop <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then just keep going at least two more times
1: <laughs> that's all the news i have
0: great so let's get into some listener mail
1: you've got listener
0: mail our first question is have you ever seen any celebrities out in the city and do you have any stories
1: that's a great question we used to have a list on our phones of all the celebrities we would see. I think that was maybe the first year or so we lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was just too many, so we had to stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, we would see celebrities all the time. Yeah. Even like our local grocery store or walking mm-hmm. down the street.
1: Yeah, we said, remember we saw Fred Armisen just walk across like by our apartment mm-hmm. building on like a random side street? it yeah. was like, that's cool.
0: <laughs> I think he, he was going to Eugene Merman's house. I yeah. Think. Eugene Merman at the time lived in Park Slope. Absolutely. Anyway. anyway. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, we have. Um, I remember one specific incident. I, I will keep her name to myself, but there was a fairly popular pop singer. <laughs> that whenever she's on television or I hear her songs, I have to turn them off so I can't deal with it. It was about 630 in the morning on a Sunday. I was going into work and I was not feeling it. Her and her friend get onto the subway and start singing it. It's like six thirty in the morning. No one's up for that. They start singing like Broadway tunes as loud as possible on the train.
1: Yeah, I have to hear about that quite a bit whenever that person is on TV. Yeah, <laughs> which,
0: which is not all time, which is fine. No, no. But, yeah, so that's inappropriate on the train. And that, try when you're on the train, try to keep your levels down to where people <laughs> around you can't hear more than this, like a murmur from you.
1: Yeah especially if you're wearing headphones people should not be hearing
0: you yes okay so here's the next question just wanted to say that i really enjoy listening to your podcast wish my wife loved christmas enough to start a podcast with me you two are couples goals that's what the kids are saying now we are couples (laughs) goals do you ever talk to other christmas podcasters anyway i'm thinking about starting my own podcast what equipment do you use to record keep it up and be safe a lot of things to unpack on that.
1: Yeah, we that's are, really nice. We are a
0: couple's goals. So I appreciate that very much. <laughs> we do talk to other Christmas podcasters. We have a secret Discord where we all chat about stuff.
1: Well, not so secret now.
0: Well, I mean, you can't just find it. <laughs> and our equipment. The, the old equipment question. Yeah. This is a dude thing.
1: I mean, I wouldn't say it's a dude thing. I would say it's your thing.
0: I'm a dude. (laughs) We have a soundboard. We have a couple mics. Yeah, you don't need too much to start. Don't get too out of control. Just get a microphone and some headphones. We use Audacity. It's a free program, and we also distribute through Anchor, which is also free. Don't invest any more money than you need to until you're comfortable with it. It is like a hobby, but you don't want to sink extra money into stuff that you don't necessarily need to. You'll learn what you need to have as you go.
1: Yeah, and you can always upgrade the farther you go along. Um, you we've already upgraded a few times. You know, we've just like what made us more comfortable or what made us more excited to be in front of the mic or, you know, what reduced the sound every time we put our hands down on the table. <laughs> Little things like that that come across. I like the equipment, too. I just don't talk about it with everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that brings us to our most popular segment, Christmas Confidential. In my Alright, so we have some pretty good ones today, but we'll start with this one. This is a pretty nice one.
1: Every Christmas Eve while the kids are sleeping, I like to climb up on the roof and stomp around above their bedroom, pretending to be reindeer. A few months ago I was cleaning the rain gutters when I realized for the past six plus years I had the layout wrong and I was stomping above our laundry room. Mm. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) That's really funny, actually. Well, (laughs)
0: that's what he gets for impersonating reindeer yeah he should get down so santa can get there and get to work (laughs) so here we go here's the next one during christmas my mother-in-law demanded that my husband cuddle with her on the couch i spent the night alone in the guest room
1: (laughs) (laughs) what is that
0: what (laughs) be nice
1: i think i need more backstory you can't just say that this person needs to reach back out to us and give us a Should little I bit of message
0: backstory. them right now and see if they can maybe because just saying that talk about it, anymore. it sounds so strange
1: <laughs> like were they scared what was happening there has to be a backstory it's like a tradition
0: i'll bet it seems like it was a tradition for the mom and this and the son to cuddle on the couch and it was not part of the tradition for the wife to be part of the couch cuddling, so she slept in the guest room.
1: <sighs>
0: oh, well, gosh. What would you do? <laughs> I don't know. What would you do?
1: I don't know. If I think about you and your mom asking to do that, you would be like, no way.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I'm wondering what the what the husband's train of thought is here, and why he would allow his wife to go sleep on her own on Christmas Eve.
0: I would imagine the wife has probably seen this kind of thing throughout her relationship with the guy. just like, wow, this mom is involved.
1: <laughs> she just really loves her son.
0: <laughs> she just really, lo- you know what? She just really loves her son.
1: Let's look at it from that way, okay? Instead of from any kind of judgment. It's all the love.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, it looks like that's it. Another one in the can. This podcast was recorded in our apartment in Big Apple, New York City. If you like the podcast, do us a favor and take a minute to rate it and write a review. Contact us and let us know you did, and we'll send you a bunch of stickers and a thank you note, and I'll seal it with a kiss. <laughs> but not an actual kiss because of the times.
1: Yeah, let's not... uh, I'm not kissing any paper. There you go. (laughs) Subscribe (laughs) now and follow us on social media so we can keep the conversation going and keep you posted about new episodes.
0: Until next time, I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Chris. And this is Christmas Time in the City. city. Hey!
0: After a close, Morgan Hughes and Fletch Creamer, the (laughs) junior...